Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this CHEST Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, your CHEST podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be an interesting discussion on survivors of COVID-19 and their pulmonary function and radiological findings. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Jessica Gonzalez-Gutierrez and Dr. Tintin Romani as our guests. Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez and her colleagues wrote an article in the July 2021 Chess Journal, Pulmonary Function and Radiological Features in Survivors of COVID-19, a three-month prospective cohort. Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez is a respiratory physician at the University Hospital Arnau de Villanova in Data, Spain, and an associate professor at Data University, and she also heads their post-COVID unit. Dr. Romani wrote the accompanying editorial, Surviving COVID-19, A Burden Yet to Come. Dr. Romani is a third-year pulmonary and critical care fellow at the University of Virginia. He has a special interest in post-COVID care and has helped to organize the post-COVID pulmonary clinic at UVA. So to get started, Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez, your study sought to characterize the long-term pulmonary sequelae in critical COVID-19 survivors. Now, what prompted you to ask that question and look at that? Uh, first of all, uh, I would like to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here today with all of you. It's a real pleasure for me. And it is uh, very funny and very interesting that you asked me this question um, because it's the same one that my boss told me one year ago before we started the post-COVID pulmonary consultation. Um, in my opinion, since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, all physicians who were attending COVID-19 hospitalized patients were concerned about the possible pulmonary sequela in the most severe patients with respiratory distress syndrome. So um, basically, the question was born from the need for follow-up these severe COVID-19 survivors and the unclear evolution of the pulmonary impairment of these patients. Great. So can you please explain your study design to our listeners? Yes, this is very simple. This is an observational study that includes all uh, critical patients admitted to the ICU due to COVID-19 in my city. Um, we perform a three-month follow-up after the hospital discharge. And uh, at this point, the evaluation includes symptoms and quality of life, anxiety and depression questionnaires, pulmonary function tests, HSS tests uh, through the six-minute walking test and a test compute tomography. And uh, with all of this, we had the opportunity to describe the pulmonary impairment and the radiological findings of these, of these critical patients after three months of discharge. And what did you find regarding residual symptoms and quality of life in COVID-19 survivors? Yes, what uh, we found in our cohort of patients at this point, at the month of follow-up, is the well-known post-ICU syndrome. Um, 
a high proportion of these critically ill patients presented deterioration in physical, cognitive, or mental status after the acute care setting. Um, the most common symptoms that we found were dyspnea, muscular fatigue, and cough. Um, in the same line, the quality of life of these survivors show mean scores substantially lower compared to healthy people or other people with chronic diseases. And what did you find regarding pulmonary function changes in these patients? This is a key question, and I think the most uh, interesting and important finding in our study. Um, in one in one hand, uh, we found that 82% of patients showed an abnormal lung diffusion capacity, or GLCO. Only one patient showed airway obstruction, but 37% presented a restrictive pattern with a total lung capacity below 80%. Um, in the other hand, uh, we have that the mean distance covered in the exercise test was 400 meters, which is significantly lower, as you know, compared with uh, reference-adjusted values for um, healthy people. So uh, the proportion of patients with pulmonary functional impairment is very important in critical COVID-19 survivors at this point at short-term follow-up. Now, there were also notable CT findings in these critical COVID survivors. Can you please describe those? Yes. Um, our results go in line with others that show a high proportion of patients with pulmonary involvement in the test CT during the follow-up. Uh, the most frequent findings in the test CT that we uh, found were the presence of perif uh, peripheral ground glass opacity, at least in 60% of patients, followed by interlobular septal thickening and bronchiectasis. Um, it must be highlighted that the fact um, of 49% uh, of patients show the presence of reticular lesions that we define by subpleural reticular bands with interlobular septal thickening. But um, importantly, 21% uh, of these patients presented fibrotic lesions with visible parenchymal bands, but with architectural distortion with irregular interface and traction bronchiectasis. Great. And what did you find regarding factors associated with residual CT or pulmonary function abnormalities? The factors that we found related to more testity affectation or uh, pulmonary abnormalities during the follow-up are basically markers of the severity of the acute phase, such as age and the need or the length of invasive mechanical ventilation. Um, these factors are well known and have also been reported by other groups pointing uh, to the need for close monitoring of patients requiring invasive mechanical ventilation for COVID-19. Yeah, thank you. So, Dr. Romani, in your editorial, you discuss some of the underlying contributors to the long-term consequences we see of acute respiratory distress syndrome. Can you please discuss some of those underlying contributors now? Sure. So, first of all, thank you for having me, Chest, and uh, thank you, Dr. Venter, for a nice introduction. Um, I would also like to thank all the patients, my colleagues, mentors, and nursing staff who actually helped me learn 
and growing the field. Um, and of course, the audience today taking time and listening to the podcast. I would like to recognize the support and guidance I have received from my amazing mentors, Dr. Cottle and Dr. Enfield. And uh, uh, before I proceed, I want to mention that on today's talk, all the views are my personal views, and they are based on our observation at UVA and uh, some of the available studies that we have reviewed. Um, so long-term outcome in ERDS patients, um, if we look at it, it's not only affected by the underlying disease process, but um, oftentimes, um, you know, also by the care we provide. And as an example, mechanical ventilation, which can sometimes lead to barotrauma um, as well as, you know, VAB or secondary bacterial infection. And if you follow long, um, long-term, um, this patient m- might lead to um, abnormal PFTs and especially low diffusion capacities, post-ARDS pulmonary fibrosis, desaturation with exercise, and all of these can limit their functionality. Um, we, we have clearly noticed, uh, if I talk about uh, COVID-19, uh, we have clearly noticed prolonged mechanical ventilation um, as compared to non-COVID ARDS patient. Next thing I want to point out um, to the listener is, um, you know, sedation as well as paralytics requirement with or without proning for uh, whether vent desynchrony or refractory hypoxemia. Um, so this can, uh, uh, sedation can lead to, um, you know, high risk for delirium, uh, often needing antipsychotics um, and, you know, high amount of opiates. Uh, which can, you know, lead to uh, polypharmacy and, you know, the discharge, this patient will be on antipsychotics and opiates uh, for for quite a bit. Um, there are also a few reports out there um, that are showing that COVID ARDS patients require a higher amount of sedation um, as compared to non-COVID ARDS. Um, now, the next thing I would point out is paralytics, Inactivity while they are mechanically ventilated and, you know, uh, severely hypoxemic, um, as well as steroid use, uh, can put these patients at the risk of critical care myopathy and polyneuropathy, which lead to prolonged decondition, uh, chronic pain, and inability to get back to work or their baseline activity level for months. Prolonged ICU stay um, or hospital stay in conjunction with uh, their underlying disease process can lead to anxiety, PTSD, as well as depression. If I talk about COVID, uh, people have lost their jobs, family members, and there's there's still a lot of anxiety amongst the mass that what will happen in future and what if, uh, you know, they get uh, uh, reinfected again. Uh, patient uh, were unable to see their family or caregiver during their hospital stay. So all of those factors um, have added to their psychosocial and um, psychological outcome. Can you please also discuss what is known in the literature about pulmonary impairments in survivors of ARDS and their long-term recovery? So this is a very interesting question. Um, When uh, we decided to uh, open this clinic and uh, see these patients, we actually went back and looked at, you know, overall what uh, ARDS patient does down the road. There are only limited studies and literature out out there, unfortunately. So uh, I want to reference um, out of uh, the limited literature one uh, study, which was done in Canada, 
Uh, and it was published back in 2003, and they published a follow-up study in 2011 in New England uh, Journal of Medicine. Dr. Harridge uh, and her colleagues uh, followed roughly 109 patients with ARDS due to various causes at three months, six months, 12 months, uh, and then two-year, three-year, four-year, and five-year after their discharge from intensive care unit. At each visit, patients were interviewed and examined. Uh, they underwent pulmonary function test, six-minute walk test, resting and exercise oximetry, chest imaging, and quality of life evaluation, and reported their use of uh, healthcare services. Um, if I talk about their pulmonary impairment, so uh, in their observation, they, sh uh, they showed mild restriction and mild to moderate diffusion impairment at three months, which actually gradually improved and almost normalized at one to three years. None of the patients required oxygen um, with ambulation or at rest at 12 months follow-up and onwards. Their six-minute walk distance also gradually improved from 50% predicted to 76% predicted at five years. And amongst the patients who underwent CT scan of their chest, most common findings was really minor, non-dependent pulmonary fibrotic changes. Um, bottom line, they noticed uh, exercise limitation, physical and psychological sequelae, and decreased physical uh, quality of life, as well as increased uh, cost and use of healthcare service at uh, five-year follow-up. Thank you. So, Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez, would you please, going back to your study, discuss some of the limitations? Yes, uh, I think uh, the main limitation of our study is uh, that it's a small cohort from a single city focused only in critical COVID patients. So, um, larger, uh, larger sample size from different hospitals will be ideal to generalize our results. Um, moreover, uh, as uh, we know, loss to follow-up is a real challenge in any post-COVID pulmonary consultation, although we did not find sociodemographic or clinical differences compared to the final cohort. And um, finally, the reversibility of this parenchymal involvement is uncertain due to the short-term follow-up of our study at uh, three months of follow-up. And further long-term analysis uh, should clarify this issue and will help us to better understand the true pulmonary affectation at long-term of these COVID-19 patients. And Dr. Romani, you importantly discussed challenges to interpreting studies on long-term effects of COVID-19 when, um, when you're trying to apply them to the general population. Can you please discuss some of those challenges for our listeners? Sure. So honestly, to the date in my lifetime, COVID-19 is the first ever disease process that has affected a large number of patients from various part of, uh, parts of the world people of various ages, heights, weights, racial background have been affected by this disease. Um, the applicability of uh, the results of one eth uh, ethnic group to another might be uh, challenging. We also need to put the clinical resources into consideration as well when we talk about outcome. Uh, countries with less population handle the isolation and exposure 
far better than um, countries uh, who have large number of residents. And if you think about it, this had also affected the available clinical resources uh, to handle the case burden when they started seeing, you know, a large number of uh, cases. Even the incidence of and prevalence of COVID-19 were different uh, in the different region of same country, uh, resulting in overwhelming case burden in one area and thereby affecting inpatient hospital care as well as, you know, their long-term outcome. And this has clearly seen um, in our follow-up study, um, our patient outcome were different than some of the available uh, studies from the different places, um, even from the United States. And like this is likely from the fact that number of cases were significantly less at our center uh, when we compare with some of the other center in Virginia. And Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez, what does your study specifically add to the literature on COVID-19 survivors and their pulmonary sequelae? In uh, my opinion, the most uh, striking and novel finding of our work is a high proportion of patients with lung diffusing capacity impairment. Uh, remember uh, the 82% of patients and lung injury in the test CT scan, at least 70% at three months after the hospital discharge. Um, the key point is the magnitude of lung damage found in our in our cohort has no precedent even in the previous coronavirus outbreaks such as SARS and MERS. So our data suggests different clinical and pulmonary effects for COVID-19 in comparison with other forms of viral respiratory illnesses, highlighting the unique behavior of respiratory distress syndrome due to COVID-19. And how do your study's findings impact patient care? What should healthcare providers take away from these results, and how might it affect our care? Um, we think that our findings have several clinical implications. Uh, as I said before, as more severe differential lung involvement is seen in critically patients with COVID-19, close monitoring after discharge is deserved. Efforts must be aimed at creating these post-COVID care units for this type of patients. Um, therapies such as pulmonary rehabilitation and physical conditioning should be the cornerstone of the follow-up. And even empirical treatment with systemic glucocorticosteroids or even inclusion in a randomized clinical trial of antifibrotic treatments should be considered in, sele in selected cases of uh, these type of patients. Um, the long-term pulmonary sequelae are unknown, but I think our data encourage close follow-up of these patients. Thank you. Now, finally, what are the next steps for research on this topic? This is the most difficult um, uh, to answer, but so far um, we have limited ourselves to describing the findings that we have found in those patients. Um, I think that the next steps should be focused toward a better understanding of these pulmonary sequelae from a molecular and histological point of view, especially to looking for targeted therapies. Um, additionally, we have to deeply understand which predictors are associated with pulmonary sequela 
to try uh, to modify them earlier in the acute phase. And uh, finally, um, we have to observe which is the respiratory evolution of these patients and its impact on their quality of life at long-term follow-up. So as we finish up our discussion, can you each please give our listeners a closing thought on what you've learned from your experiences in this study? What do you want them to take away from this discussion? Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Um, as a conclusion, um, we have learned that survivor, uh, survivors of critical COVID patients show a higher proportion of lung affectation represented by DLCO impairment and test CT abnormalities at uh, three months of follow-up at this point of follow-up. So um, a complete evaluation, including test CT, pulmonary function and HSH test three months post-discharge should be considered for these survivors. Efforts must be focused at creating post-COVID units for these patients to guarantee treatments such as pulmonary rehabilitation. And uh, last but not least, um, studies at long-term follow-up are needed to see the pulmonary evaluation of uh, critical COVID-19 survivors. Thank you. And Dr. Romani. I'm going to echo what uh, Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez mentioned, and I'll, I'll add a couple more things. So, you know, clearly acute cases have gone down significantly at this point, and hopefully will continue to improve. However, uh, the major concern in front of us is the care for, you know, what we call long haulers, uh, what we're going to do with these patients. Uh, this includes not only post-ICU population, but non-ICU and non-hospitalized COVID patients as well. There their outcome uh, definitely will vary uh, between different centers. Um, and this patient um, not only uh, require pulmonary evaluation, but also evaluation and management for psychosocial and uh, psychological issues. Um, some of this patient uh, might need long-term follow-up. And, you know, as we have seen based on uh, Canadian uh, data, we know that the RDS patient have ongoing issues um, uh, for five years um, uh, and even longer. Uh, COVID-19 patients who require prolonged ventilation, more sedation, and prolonged ICU and hospital stay, stay uh, high likely that this patient will, will have ongoing symptoms for long. So, you know, we need to come up with uh, a great follow-up plan uh, and long-term follow-up plan for this patient. If I talk about research, so regarding to research, multi-central observational study will be needed to generalize um, these results and findings, uh, whether post-ARDS fibrosis or, you know, utility of uh, antifibrotic treatment in this patient uh, group, um, and, you know, in long-term follow-up, uh, at what extent the, the improvement will be there. Um, and this time, I think we need to f uh, not focus on one center, but this has to be multi-center, and um, center would be should be from uh, various different countries. Um, and these studies will also help us in stratifying risk associated with long-term complications after COVID-19, um, uh, but may uh, may be applicable to other ARDS survivors as well. And we'll we'll learn more about uh, post-ARDS course. Um, um, so that's that's what I would add. 
Well, a big thank you to both Dr. Gonzalez Gutierrez and Dr. Romani for a great conversation on an interesting and timely topic. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time.